0: Today's reading comes from Revelation 13, 1 to 18. Buckle up. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had 10 horns and seven heads, with 10 crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshiped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshiped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's Book of Life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Whoever has ears, let them hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of the people. Because of the signs it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads, so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. That number is 666. This is the reading of God's word.
1: I'll keep your seatbelts on. <clears throat> this fall we've been journeying through Revelation. Revelation is a letter from Pastor John to some, uh, some churches that were being persecuted by Rome. And he's writing to encourage them to remain faithful to Jesus and to resist the temptation to compromise their faith in the face of social and political pressure. And he's doing all this through a a literary genre, which is foreign to us but familiar to his original readers, called Apocalypse. Apocalypse means unveiling or revelation. In an apocalypse, you use familiar symbols and images to reveal what will happen and what is happening just beneath the surface of what we can see and hear and touch. Along our journey, uh, you have been submitting questions about this strange and wonderful book. Uh, We're gonna look at one of them today. One person asked, is it true that nothing after chapter three can be taken literally? It's a good question. The entire book of Revelation is true but a large part of it is presented through symbols. Symbols are not untrue. Symbols just point to something beyond themselves. So when you read Revelation and you encounter a symbol, you want to find out what it's pointing to. For example, a literal beast is not going to devour a literal prostitute, but there are rulers and authorities that figuratively devour the very things that they help create. So no, you should not take chapter 17 literally, but you should know that evil often self-destructs. You should know that evil has a shelf life, and that God in his mercy will one day replace the kingdoms of this world that exploit and oppress people with his own kingdom of justice and peace. So our job when we read Revelation is to follow the hyperlinks, to understand what the symbols are pointing to, and then take that message very seriously so great question keep them coming Uh, feel free to submit your questions online using the link in the video description or through an ask anything card which you can pick up in the back today two weeks ago i made some comments in my sermon about dispensationalism i know many of you have questions and thoughts about that today we are devoting our living room conversation after the service to this topic we'll have two hosts there Uh, So if you want to scratch that itch, uh, you'll have an opportunity to do so today. All right, chapter 13, here we go. Chapter 13 is part of a larger section that explores the nature of evil. A while back, we looked at chapter 12. Chapter 12 reveals that there is a cosmic war between good and evil. Long ago, God's enemy Satan, which John portrays as a dragon, tried to supplant God on his throne. He failed and was cast down to the earth. So he dusted himself off and he tried to kill Jesus at the moment of his birth, but he failed there too. So he dusted himself off again and resolved now to go after Jesus' followers. George Lucas was right. There is an evil force at work in the universe. And that force must be discerned and resisted. Chapter 13 gives us a glimpse of what that evil force looks like up close. If the passage that Karen read feels really weird and strange and bizarre to you, that's okay. It is weird, strange, and bizarre. We are learning a new genre together on the fly. So give yourselves a break. It's okay. We met two beasts in that passage, two wild things, one from the sea and one from the land. And John's readers knew exactly what these figures represented. They represented Roman power and propaganda. The emperor who demanded unflinching loyalty and devotion or else. And the system of sycophants who convinced the whole world to worship him. There are lots of hyperlinks in this chapter to the Hebrew Scriptures. The most important by far is Daniel chapter 7. In that chapter, Daniel has a dream. "'In my vision at night, I looked,' Daniel writes, "'and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. "'The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. "'The second beast looked like a bear.' The third beast looked like a leopard, and on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. Then I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left, and it had ten horns. And John's beast seems to be a composite sketch of Daniel's four beasts, a super beast, which makes sense because the Roman emperor had far more power than any ruler had ever had before in the history of the world. Calling the emperor a beast functions a lot like our modern-day political cartoons function. When we want to expose or criticize a politician, cut them down to size, we exaggerate their features, we caricature them, John is unmasking the pretensions of the emperor. He thinks he's all that. He thinks he's worthy to be worshipped. In reality, he's just a mishmash of spare parts, a puppet on Satan's strings. Check out this piece of art. John Rice of the beast utters blasphemous names. In other words, it claims to be God. Nero was the first emperor to demand that people worship him. He was the first emperor to develop a program of persecution against those who refused to bow their knees to him. Verse 3 says, one of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound but the fatal wound had been healed. What on earth is this all about? Well, Nero committed suicide when he was 32 years old, and shortly after that, um, a, a myth arose that he wasn't actually dead, that he was on an island recovering, but would soon return to rule over the empire once more. There was no truth to this at all, of course, but that didn't stop millions, tens of millions from believing it and continuing to worship Nero years after his death. So look at this, the whole world was filled with uh, wonder and followed the beast. People worshiped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast and they also worshiped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? If this sounds ridiculous and far-fetched, it wasn't. People were tripping over each other to demonstrate their loyalty and their allegiance to the emperor. More on that later. So Nero and later Domitian claimed to be God And they waged war against those who refused to worship them. And John is saying that if you are willing to kill people to preserve your own power, you are being manipulated by the dragon, by Satan. If you value your own power more than you value other people's lives, more than other people's freedom of conscience, guess what? You are a beastly ruler. Is that fair? I think that's fair. And some did suffer. Some did die because of the beast. Which is why John says to the churches, this calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. God runs the world. The emperor only thinks he runs the world. And he does not tolerate dissidents. John is presenting his hearers with a stark choice. You can worship Jesus or you can worship the beast. Who will you choose? Jesus is glorious. The emperor is a sham, a puppet on a string. Jesus absorbs suffering on behalf of those he loves. The emperor inflicts suffering in order to consolidate and maintain his own power. Who are you going to worship? In verse 11, we meet the second beast, the false prophet, the propaganda machine, the sycophant in chief. The second beast is not an individual, it is a system, a network. In America, ideally, there's a separation of church and state. In the Roman Empire, not so much. There was a robust civil religion called the emperor cult. Now the state, didn't even really have to impose anything on anyone because the local religious authorities were the strongest advocates of emperor worship. Why? Because showing devotion to the emperor was the best way to keep your city, your little part of the world, in the emperor's good graces. So all across Asia Minor, where John's churches were, cities were tripping over each other for the privilege of erecting temples and statues in honor of the emperor. It was municipal brown-nosing on an epic scale. John says that the second beast exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast. In other words they got everyone to drink the emperor's Kool-Aid. John writes that the second beast performed signs and gave breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and caused all who refused to worship the image to be killed. What is going on here? This is going to sound made up, trust me it is not. In John's day local priests in Asia Minor would deceive people by using hidden pulleys to make the statues move. They would use ventriloquism to make people think that the statues had spoken. They would use false lighting to make people think that the statues had eyes that were glaring at them. And they used other mechanisms to delude people into thinking that the statues were breathing and speaking and weeping and all these different things. And people were taken in by the tens of thousands. The emperor demands to be worshipped. And the priesthood makes sure that everyone is on board. How? By deceiving people into thinking that the statues were actually channeling the emperor. Throughout this chapter, John is peeling back the curtain. He's showing his churches Rome's true colors. He's unmasking the pretensions of the emperor and the deceptions of his sycophants. He's helping them to see that their formidable enemy is actually a hoax, is actually a sham, an illusion. It reminds me of Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? when beastly rulers rise up, God laughs. He scoffs at them. God sees behind the costume, the facade. He knows that they will come to nothing. And guess what John says? You too can laugh at the whole charade. John is such a good pastor. The Mark of the Beast... A lot of people wonder about this. It's not a literal mark. It is a parody of Deuteronomy 6 where God's words are tied as symbols on the hands and foreheads of his covenant people. The mark of the beast means that they have sworn their allegiance to the emperor and they have agreed to do his bidding and they must if they want access to Rome's economy and civic life. The number 666 is probably the most famous symbol in Revelation. It could possibly refer to the numerical value of the letters in Nero Caesar in the Greek. More likely, it is a symbol for falling short of God's glory and beauty. If 7 is the number of perfection, 666 is triple imperfection. Now it is absolutely crucial for us that we understand that the beasts are timeless tropes. There's not one beast. Don't go looking for one figure in history. Any individual, any system that abuses power, that exploits and oppresses, that demands to be worshiped is beastly. But it's not one person. In John's day, it was Nero and Domitian and the whole imperial cult. In Moses' day, it was the pharaoh and his magicians. In Daniel's day, it was King Nebuchadnezzar. But every generation, every culture has its beastly figures. Rulers and authorities that get far too big for their britches and start demanding loyalty or else. Likewise... Every generation and culture has its sycophants, has its religious authorities who deceive and delude people into putting their trust and hope in human beings and human institutions. John is showing us that there is far more than meets the eye. Behind these rulers and systems is a dragon who is manipulating them to do his will which is to intimidate God's people into giving someone other than Jesus their allegiance. Which is why John concludes his vision by saying, this calls for wisdom. We need wisdom to recognize when the dragon is pulling the strings. All right, you might ask, what on earth does this have to do with us? everything. The specifics change, the dynamics are timeless. America is a great nation but it has also been beastly. Think of the near eradication of native peoples, the enslavement of millions of Africans, the internment of the Japanese during World War II. We've spread democracy, knowledge, technological developments all around the world. America has done wonders in the fights against illiteracy, disease, and poverty, but we have also exploited and oppressed and brought death and devastation to the planet. We have put our hope in princes. We have trusted mere humans to save us. We have witnessed the co-opting of religion in general and Christianity in particular. To prop up ethno nationalistic identity and power. We have a long history of civil religion in the United States that's part Jesus, part guns, part militarism, part ethnic nationalism, part consumerism, part imperialism, manifest destiny. We've produced propaganda to deceive and delude ourselves into thinking that genocide was our God given calling. My purpose here is not to dump on America, but to show us that beastly powers and principalities and propaganda is ubiquitous. It is everywhere. It is all the time. Whoever has ears, let them hear. These days, the dragon seems to be diversifying his portfolio. In John's day, it was the state that posed the greatest threat to the church's worship. Today, we face dragony temptations on multiple fronts. Yes, from the state, but also from political ideologies and tribes, tribal identities, the market, technology, and the myth of progress. Multinational corporations that in many ways exert even more power over people than the state does. Think of Meta, Google, and Amazon. Who is like them? They bind us together. They compress time and space. They deliver whatever we want to our doorsteps in two days or less. Who is like them? If the beast is a power that's trying to distract you from worshiping Jesus, then most of us walk around with a digital beast in our pockets. Perhaps even more dangerous and subtle is the temptation to deify ourselves. To be an autonomous individual. Why worship the state when you can worship yourself? Define right and wrong for yourself. Use your resources, your platform and power to serve your own ambitions and comfort and security. What is social media but a platform for erecting our own images before the world? We can even use filters to give them breath and life. The propaganda machine that props up these counterfeit gods is very expensive. Our mass consumer culture rides on the back of a $650 billion a year advertising industry. The propaganda of more. We trip over each other to be first in line for the latest smartphone, concert tickets, and hot Christmas gifts. Just watch in the coming days. We evangelize on behalf of our favorite brands and politicians. We even pay them tribute to fund their campaigns. The problem with the beast is that he's resilient. Lop off one head and there are six more. And so the question we must ask ourselves is to what extent have we been taken in by the false promises of human personalities and institutions? human programs and ideologies? And to what extent are we looking to politicians, tribes, consumer goods, technology to save us, to rescue us from boredom, meaninglessness, loneliness, insecurity, shame? To what extent are we compromising our allegiance to Jesus by blending Jesus and human institutions and ideologies into a soup? To put a fine point on it, how far am I willing to go to fit in in Babylon? Does it matter if the company I work for is polluting lakes and rivers and destroying their wildlife? Does it matter if my investments are funding companies that use child labor or enslaved people to produce its goods? No one wakes up and says, I think I'm going to worship the beast today. Rather, we tend to drift that way slowly over time. First by mixing Jesus with the empire, then by blurring the lines between the two, and then finally we jettison Jesus altogether. One commentator I read this week quoted an American missionary in the Philippines a generation ago who said, If the U.S. military leaves, what will happen to all of God's work here? He quoted a pastor he heard say from the pulpit once, America is the world's last best hope. Now, I love America, but America is not the world's last best hope. Jesus is. Full stop. And the gospel of the kingdom does not need America's military. How do we come to a point where we say these kinds of things? Slowly. Imperceptively. Here are some signs that you might be sliding slowly towards the beast. Number one, you're willing to use force to defend or advance God's kingdom. You've begun to believe in the myth of redemptive violence, much to the chagrin of the Prince of Peace. Number two, you have Jesus for your private life, but something else for your public life. Jesus rules over your religious activity, but something else guides your work, your public life, your spending. Another sign might be that you're increasingly motivated by fear. Fundamentalists traffic in fear. Some of you grew up amidst a religious fundamentalism that said, believe these things, live this way, avoid these people, or else. Some of you are like, mm-hmm. There was no gratitude, there was no wonder, there was no joy. It was just a fear-based religion. And some of you are coming of age amidst a progressive fundamentalism that says, believe these things, talk this way, avoid these people, or else. Same beast, different head. Fundamentalism, whether religious or progressive, always traffics in fear. Jesus does not want you to live in fear. In fact, his perfect love casts out fear. That's how you know you're close to Jesus. If you're swimming in fear, it could be that you have been wandering from his perfect love. Everything we do is either motivated by fear or love. I wonder what's motivating you. When you decide what to wear, who to talk to, who to sit with, what to major in, what job to take. When you're with your friends and your colleagues and and you have to decide whether to be your authentic self or the person you think they expect you to be, how do you decide? What's making the decision? Fear or love? Another sign that you're sliding toward the beast is that you've devoted yourself to to someone who's using you. A narcissistic politician, boss, spouse, or friend. You're not sure how it happened, but you're beginning to realize that that you are a sycophant, a brown noser, a slave. Welcome back, kids. Jesus will never use you. He will never take advantage of you. How do we know? Because he gave up his power and he laid down his life for you. Another sign that you're sliding toward the beast is that elections fill you with dread and despair. Possible, of course, that you may be behaving in a beastly way. We're all capable of it. We are all capable of using people, abusing power, demanding loyalty, punishing people who challenge our power or the status quo. I know I've behaved beastly before in my life. If you have power at work or at home or in your community, do you have mechanisms in place to make sure that you're not abusing that power? Are people close to you allowed to confront you when you're overstepping your bounds and do you listen to and yield to them? Do you want help identifying your blind spots? Do you want to learn how to lead like Jesus does? Or do you surround yourself with sycophants, people who are too impressed with you to call you out? Another sign that you're sliding toward the beast is that you've become really protective of the status quo. You're way more interested in preserving the way things are than in pursuing the way things ought to be. It's hard following Jesus in Babylon. It is hard living in a world that's ruled by beasts. John is right. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. It's hard to avoid being led astray by lies, hype, and spin, by the deceptions and delusions that permeate our society. This calls for wisdom. This is is a hard passage, but friends, I have good news. We have a secret weapon. Actually, we have three. We have the Word of God and the Word made flesh. We have the Holy Spirit God's own animating breath as close to us as our own heartbeats who teaches us to pray and to rely on Jesus. And we have each other. We have the family of God. We have a community of faithful witnesses to belong to. So the question is, are we using our weapons? Do we regularly carve out time to sit at Jesus' feet? To learn from him, to think with him? Are we praying regularly for the Holy Spirit to fill us and guide us in all truth and to transform our our hearts so that we desire what God desires, so that we lose our appetites for the counterfeit gods of this world? Are we prioritizing our fellowship with one another? And when we get together, are we building one another up, spurring one another on to love and good deeds, talking about real life and the things that matter? Are we casting out each other's fear with love and helping each other to discern and resist the dragon and his puppets? The beast can be resisted. We have everything we need to resist him. Are we using them? We have a formidable enemy who traffics in lies and wears many masks. But if you pay close attention... You can see beneath the disguise that he's just a collection of spare parts and you can laugh at him. You can scoff at the slick-sounding sla- slick sales pitch because it is a delusion. It is not real. We can become dissident disciples who discern and resist the dragon and his beasts. How? By worshiping the Lamb who was slain, by fixing our eyes and setting our hearts on Jesus. Only then can we discern the counterfeits and delusions. And that process of being formed by worship is what we will talk about next week.